Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to Kudzu Vine for August 19th, 2018. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me tonight is Tim Shiflett. Welcome, Tim. Good evening, sir. All right, just you and I for a little while, but in about 20 minutes, uh, Steen Kirby of Sports and Politics and other publications is going to come on the show and talk to us a little bit of politics, a little bit of intersection of sports and politics, and we'll be glad to have him. Catherine is uh, on, we'll say, assignment. Um, don't know how much we should divulge, but she's on assignment this week, and so she's not going to be with us. So uh, we'll just handle things going on. And But, uh, Tim, last week we talked about Omarosa. Some of the tapes had come out. More has come out, and there could even be more to come out. There's also been a lot of claims. More people have read her book, um, more reports of the book. She's done more interviews on the book. Um, one of the big revelations is that Donald Trump apparently on, it sounds like more than one occasion, has used the N-word, uh, a racial slur. Um, to me, I'll say this, Donald Trump's actions upon minorities were already more egregious even than what he might say, but the fact that he would have said this is just really a sad state of affairs for American democracy if, you know, there is tapes or proven, uh, I guess, beyond the shadow of reasonable people's doubts. Tim? Well, we're going to find out uh, how true everything he purportedly said or didn't say or anyone else in that administration or campaign said or didn't say, if the latest news from, quote, sources are true, these sources say that she may have as many as 200 audio tapes that she made secretly. Also, she may have video emails, text messages, and other documentation. Uh, She claims she has stuff to back up everything, for instance, that she said in her book. It looks to me like she is releasing it uh, a little bit at a time. Maybe it's to keep her name in the news. Maybe it's to sell copies of that book. Um, but she's released some interesting stuff. Have you heard? Uh, have you heard the one that she released of uh, Lara Trump offering, basically offering her fifteen thousand dollars a month to join Trump's campaign, and, and the reason is to keep her quiet. Uh, this was offered, you know, so that she would just shut up. Uh, Incredibly, Lara Trump says that the tape is a fraud, that it was all spliced together and this and that. I don't know. I heard the thing, and she did, you know, offer her uh, in the neighborhood of the salary she was making when she was working in the White House, which would be about 15000 a month. Uh, Trump aides apparently are very worried. You've heard the tape of them discussing the fact that there that a tape, obviously an outtake from The Apprentice of him using the N word, among other things, uh, may be out there somewhere, and what to do about it. Uh, you, we mentioned before we went on there talking about Penn Gillette, who also said he he heard him say some racy things. But I I, I got to wonder if that sort of thing. Is going to hurt Trump. I mean, the man has spectacularly uttered some obscene, vulgar, gutterish things. What could he say or do now that would take him down? Anything? 
Yeah, you wonder would this do anything with his base? Um, and of course, like you know, his actions have been so egregious. Um, you know, what are the words going to do that the actions hadn't done? Uh, the way he, I mean, you didn't need to hear him say a word like that to know after he attacked LeBron James and Don Lemon the way he did that he's not an enlightened figure on the subject of race. And that's only against one race. We forget, you know, you got to remember what he uh, says about Latinos, uh, what he says about Muslims. Uh, I mean, this is somebody that just doesn't seem to have a comfort zone with any group that's not himself. And you begin to wonder, really, does he only comfortable with groups of people like himself, which would not include all white people, because there's a lot of people that uh, don't live in his echelon with money and status and whatnot. But a lot of those folks are his base, and that's where I do think it could get him in trouble if he had ta- if somebody had tapes of telling how he really felt about his base. Uh, because I have a that feeling would be, that that would about be his base, there. and that would be damning to him. <laughs> but he is he yeah. at the point, though, where he could just say, no, 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 that's fake news. Don't listen to that, and his base would say, Okay, they faked it. Trump really didn't well, say that, even though you clearly hear Trump saying that. Well, right? that may be the spliced um, tape fence may be exactly the new thing. By the time, uh, you know, in two or three months, the Billy Bush tape will be spliced. You know what I mean? It, it'll just be uh-huh. everything you ever hear. My goodness, they could show some flub at a speech or a debate that everybody watched live, and they'll say it was a splice tape somehow in the future. Uh, I mean, you just, mm-hmm. just don't think there's any ends in what they'll do with the truth. It's kind of like the old book Animal Farm with George Orwell, where lo- the commandments of animals changed throughout the book. Yeah. And so um, you kind of see that going on, and, and it's really, really scary. I will say this. Um, you know, I don't think last week we talked – any of the three of us were big fans of Omarosa, but I will say this. I saw her on The Daily Show. She did an interview, and I thought she afforded herself maybe the best I've ever seen her afford herself because she's not a naturally likable person, let's just say. Mm-hmm. And she came off more likable in that interview than any I had seen her in. Um, I don't know. I guess Trevor well, Noah is uh, kind of one of those interviewers that makes everybody seem you know, a little nicer, I guess you will, because that's kind of a positive style. Tim? Yeah, but, you you know, I was thinking there's another angle here. Maybe she just happens to be Trump's worst nightmare. And the reason I say that is because he and she come from essentially the same background. They're both television reality stars. She knows every trick he knows. She's pulled every stunt he's pulled. Uh, She knows how to fight fire with fire. Uh, She knows how to push his buttons. Uh, And she, so far at least, has had an answer for every move he has made toward her. Uh, Maybe Donald Trump has just met his match in this one, and she isn't going to go away. Uh, Question is, how credible is she going to be viewed by the public? How many people are going to say, well, she's just another TV reality star? And she's just doing this to sell books and la di da di da di da And what'll get lost in that is the truthful things that she does supply us with. Now, I don't see how people can ignore video and audio tapes, but I tell you what, they, they ignored them enough to get him elected. Uh... Some of that stuff that came out, like that Access Hollywood thing, should have taken any candidate out. I mean, any candidate out, that anyone would vote for that trash after something like that come out it was is a disgrace. But there he is. He's in the White House. So you just have to wonder after a while. Even the stuff she is coming out with, which is highly credible, you can't argue 
you with audio and videotape. There it is. Uh, it's, it still don't seem to, to phase him. I've noticed his approval rating hasn't changed one iota. Uh, he keeps that base no matter what, and and I don't know how, how how what to do about it. I just I don't know. I don't know if it you know. Yeah, it, it's uh, and and it seems like there's nothing seemingly that will move that base. And as far as the you know tapes that'll come out, each of us were to sit here the rest of the evening and like on paper and make a list of all the egregious things Donald Trump has said or done during the campaign and in his presidency, you and I would each have probably 50 different things that the other forgot, and between our two lists, we'd still forget 100 more. And so it's not like we mm-hmm. need any more ammunition um, if you're you know, a thinking, rational person. Um, but So it's, it's not that, oh, man, this will get him, uh, because nothing seems to. He really is the... You know, the Teflon Don, it seems at this point, with 40%, 35% of the American public. And it's just, then it gets down to turnout. Well, um, yeah, a little embarrassing thing that happened to, you know, Donald Trump this week, which um, we'll see where it all goes. He has been wanting a military parade seemingly his entire presidency. And the price tag came out $90 million. Then the, um, Parade got put on hold, and now uh, Mick Mulvaney says, oh, it's not being put on hold due to the cost. I mean, the fact that in America we would have a military parade down the streets of Washington, even if it cost, you know, $9,000, was really something I don't think a lot of Americans were comfortable with because that's not really the kind of democracy and nation we are. But then the fact that it was $90 million and that was pretty hard uh, price tag for almost anyone to justify. Um, what's happened here with this military parade, Tim? Well, I mean, he he had to back off uh, on this one. I mean, you you talked about the cost. It was, uh, I believe, ninety two million dollars. Forty six million of it, by the way, or about half of it would have been for security purposes. Uh, you remember when he previously claimed the cost would be ten million dollars? Uh, uh, interestingly enough, Don uh, did his usual and blamed it on anyone except himself. He blamed uh, the cancellation of the thing on the city government of Washington D.C. Uh, and then he said, "I canceled it because they ran the price of the parade up." Uh, like, I don't know, he thought they were trying to make some money or something off of it. And uh, he said instead that he would attend a parade at Andrews Air Force Base and, and then go back to France to see the parade there, which will commemorate the 100th anniversary of the end of World War One on November 11th. Um, <laughs> he also tweeted, of course, that now we could uh, afford to buy some more jet fighters. I, I I don't know what how many jet fighters he thinks he could get for ninety two million when one tricked out jet fighter now can cost as much as a billion dollars or more. Um, Trump's people were not for this parade. I think they're secretly happy it didn't happen. Uh, But he's still hollering he wants one uh, next year. Uh, That Bastille thing, he's been on fire ever since he saw the Bastille Day celebration, and he wants something like that where, you know, he's the center of attention. And it's pitiful. It's really pitiful. to watch, uh, I mean, Congress should have stepped in and said, "No, we're we're not spending a dime on something like this. That's just that's not going to happen." Forget, but they they just won't. 
uh, they won't stand up and do anything with this guy. And something as absurd as that, no other president would come up with something like this. I know Bush Sr. had a parade at the end of the uh, of the uh, Iraq war, but, but this is just a parade, to have a parade, a military parade yeah, well, like they'd have in Russia or China or something, and let's show off all our missiles and I want tanks and could you imagine what that heavy armor would do to Pennsylvania Avenue? That, that street's <laughs> not built for that. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't know. It's, it, it's, it's, it's so sad to watch watch things like this. But uh, didn't you find it funny, David, that uh, Trump was saying that he fixed a problem once again that he actually created himself. Yeah, I mean, it takes one, it takes no blame, for sure. And then talking about the end of the first Iraqi war, um, I think even though that might not have been necessary totally, I guess George W. Bush, or George Bush Sr. was, he was a veteran of World War II. You had parades and celebrations when the troops came home. And he was probably thinking of an event more to commemorate the work of the troops in that war more than himself. This isn't about yeah. the troops. Uh, this is about Donald Trump. Um, they'll probably all be, you know, covered in, or inside the tanks or whatever, uh, or in big groups where no one would know anybody anyway. It'll all be about Donald Trump if anything came off. Um, and, okay, he goes through D.C., D.C. is probably a very, very democratic city. I mean, I know it is. I don't know the exact results, but I know it's very democratic. Unless he could get his base all there, which he had nine folks at the Charlottesville rally, or what wasn't it some number like that? Was just some extremely pitiful number that was almost uncountable even as a group. Um, how does he know that his base would come? Because if the folks that are by and large, the D.C. population and the northern Virginia population, which is trending more Democratic, he could be in for a disaster with um, the reception of the thing. Um, and he might get protested and look bad. Has he thought of that? Uh, probably not. Uh, Washington, D.C., there's a city where Donald Trump got 4% of the vote. 4% <laughs> now. Uh, uh, you know, at, at his inaugural parade, there were actually empty seats in some of the grandstands, which is, you know, incredible that somebody could have just walked up and said, I'm married. Um, he, no, no, he hasn't thought about things like that. He he really hasn't. Um uh, uh, you, you know the 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 mayor of D.C. Uh, what's her name, Muriel uh, Bowser. Um, you know him and her went at it uh, on, on Twitter. He just has to go at it with somebody, and of course this time she was the bo- uh, bogeyman. Uh, it, it, it's it's all their fault. Uh, it's just terrible that poor old Donald's parade got ruined and. Uh, golly, I, I, can you believe we're talking about stuff like this with an American president? With all there is to do and all there is going on in, in the world, he is whining like a school kid pitching a tantrum over over a, a, this silly parade that no one should take seriously and that should never happen. Uh, maybe those that are saying he's drunk with power uh, are on to something, right? Yeah, definitely so. And I'm just glad that Space Force doesn't exist, or he might try to have Space Force in the parade, and the price tag might be $192 million. Um, Well, let's kind of change gears here and welcome on to our guest of the show for about the third time uh, for politics and sports, among other publications, uh, Mr. Steen Kirby. Welcome, Steen. Hey there, how y'all doing? Good to have you back. Doing good. Yeah, um, great, great well, to be back. Steen, I appreciate it. Definitely. So, Steen, I'm going to trade it up a little bit. I'm going to let Tim ask the first question because I think he's going to handle more of the political side, and then I'm going to do that 
where sports and politics comes together. Um, sure. Tim, take it away. Uh, Mr. Kirby, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Doing well. I wanted to start out in the 7th District in Georgia here. Probably, I guess, no congressional district in this state has seen as, shall we say, a dramatic a demographic shift as the 7th District here in Georgia. Is this yeah. shift enough this year to make the 7th District, a competitive district? Competitive, yes. Um, Flippable, I'm not convinced. But if if the simple metric is competitive, then absolutely. I mean, it will be decided within five to seven points uh, one way or the other. But obviously it's still, you know, Republican-leaning, but not Mm -hmm. strong Republican by any measure. Uh, five to seven points is a far cry from just what it was a couple of cycles ago. So it's really changing in a hurry, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. I, I happen to live in the seventh district, so I, you know, I don't just speak about this, you know, from a political science perspective. I actually live here, and I've seen the change. And you know, the mm-hmm. seventh as a, as a congressional district is is not only becoming more competitive, but also below that. A lot of the state legislative seats and the county-level seats in Gwinnett County contained within the district are even more competitive, if not democratically leaning at this point. I believe mm-hmm. there's something like six to eight seats in the House and Senate that are flippable within the 7th district, and mm-hmm. then also a couple county commission races and some school board races as well. So up and down the ballot uh, – yeah, you know, Gwinnett County has become uh, you know a, tr- a true Georgia battleground, as they call it. Mm-hmm. Now, at the last time I checked, Gwinnett was either among the top two or three, or the fastest growing county in the state. Who's moving in there? What what type of voters are we talking about? So now? it's a, it's a mix of people who uh, for you know, for workplace opportunities and quality of life. A lot of them maybe from other states. I mean, I'm a Florida native originally. I moved to Gwinnett County from Florida, so a lot of people like me, uh, you know, coming from Florida and and some of the states up north like Michigan, New York, Ohio, uh, you know, moving down towards the American South and the Atlanta metropolitan area uh, for the schools and for the opportunity, and then also a very large immigrant population. Um, Mm -hmm. I also believe, you know, in addition to, you know, the the diversity of the Asian community, the Indian community, uh, and those types of groups, there's also a lot of um, African-Americans that have moved away from Fulton and DeKalb County and Clayton County and have you know, moved out towards the suburbs, just moving further away from Atlanta. And that's made places like Henry and Gwinnett uh, and Douglas County all you know, pretty competitive these days. Mm-hmm. Now, um, we, we also know that in recent years, more and more and more and more of our population has been centered in the metro area, uh, where just a handful of years ago, about 40% of the state population was uh, in the metro area. Now we're talking about upwards of two-thirds of the state population may be within 50 to 60 miles of the state capitol building. Um, Is this change bringing Georgia to the cusp? Of becoming a purple state, or are we not there yet? Well, I don't think we're quite there yet, but I think it's. I don't see in the future Georgia not being at least on the map for both political parties. The Republicans obviously will continue to defend it for quite some time, and the Democrats obviously need to at least look at what opportunity they may have from a you know, from a national perspective, go after it. Um, because, I, again, I don't I don't see Georgia becoming, you know, more liberal than, say, North Carolina is or Florida is, but it's certainly moving closer to where North Carolina and Florida are rather than, you know, becoming more conservative. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think more than likely you're probably headed towards a long-term scenario where, you know, just like Florida and North Carolina right now are very – Back and forth, where some years you have you know Democrat winning, uh, some years you have Republican winning. It just you know depends on the the sentiment in the state and the sentiment at the national level. 
I think that's probably where Georgia's headed is, is more of a, a balance of power between the two parties. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know David was uh, saying he was going to ask you some sports questions, but I but I got to cheat and get in one sports question because it involves this state. Uh, sure. It's come out in recent days that the uh, Atlanta Braves, uh, God, I wish they had a bullpen, but that's another story. Uh, they're co-hosting a fundraiser for Brian Kemp. Now, they quickly released the statement that said, well, we did this for both parties, blah, 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 blah. My question is this. Is it wise for someone like the Braves to get politically involved? I think you kind of have to. If you're if you're an organization or you're a business as important to our state and as visible in our state as obviously the Braves franchise is, uh, you know, pretty much everybody in Georgia is a Braves fan. They have a lot mm-hmm. of economic impact. Obviously, they have interest. I mean, every business and organization and sports franchise has has interest for better or worse. So mm-hmm. I don't look at you know supporting Kemp like it's some horrible thing they did because that's what that's what companies do. The people who gave to Trump, not because they believe anything Trump's typical, but simply because if he becomes president, they want to see at the table. So I don't mm-hmm. blame the Atlanta Braves for for if if the chance that Brian Kemp becomes governor, they want to see at the table. But again, you know, I would encourage them to sort of honor their word and basically look at the map and go. You know, this is not Kemp's race to lose per se, so they need to, you know, treat Abrams' campaign with the same respect and also make sure that they have a, a seat at the table with her as well so that, you know, both for their own interest and just for the, the good of our state that, you know, they're being fair and not not in the tank for one party or the other. Mm-hmm. But but I will say yeah. I don't hold their past donations against them because realistically, you know, Deal and Purdue were the – favorites to be governor and they were governor so you know backing a winner is probably in the best interest of a corporation Mm -hmm. but you don't think in such a politically charged atmosphere as we currently have that it could uh like hurt the fan base of the braves or something like that i mean you know there's always people online that like to claim as much but but the reality Uh is is that if you're a company you're a sports franchise you can't make everybody happy I mean, the NFL is mm-hmm. dealing with that right now on a on a national scale. But no mm-hmm. matter how they handle, you know, some of the social justice issues and and the you know the voice of the players that they're experiencing, they can't win. So mm-hmm. the Atlanta Braves are not going to make everybody happy by whatever they do. But I think they have to evaluate that. You know, if Kemp is governor, they need to sort of be able to call on some favors. And I understand why mm-hmm. they would do it. I don't think it's a policy thing. I think it's literally a a matter of you know trying to be close to the potential governor of our state. Mm-hmm. And I uh, thank you for that. And with that, I will pass it over for some sports stuff to David. David. Yeah, and Kim, I got to piggyback onto this. I'll tell you my own personal thought on all this phrase fundraising stuff. If an individual owner wants to give to a political campaign, I think that is well within their right, whether they agree with my candidate or not. I guess we have Arthur Blank as the single owner. Tony Resler, he's not a Georgia citizen. Arthur Blank is. And Ted Turner, who owned the uh, Braves and the Hawks for many years. If they want to give to an entity, I think that's fine. I think it's a little dicier when a um, team gives. And then I want to kind of compare it and see if you know, Steen, and I didn't tell you to prep for this, and I understand that's not really fair, is have the Hawks and Braves and – I'm sorry, have the Hawks, Falcons, and United given to uh, candidates as a team? Because I don't – Here's what I can speak to, not not as a team. I know that Arthur Blank has given money, though, and I think he's given money to Democrats. Perhaps not exclusively, but I know – I think he gave money to Michelle Nunn. That much I remember. So – the, the problem is with the Braves, though, my understanding is their ownership is a business consortium. I believe it's called Liberty Media Group. Mm, so whether is. or not it was Liberty Media Group or the Atlanta Braves, I don't think it would make a massive difference because they're basically run like a private equity fund is. They're not run by one, one man or one woman or even by a family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I really think that that ought to be something that teams ought to look at. As I understand – that if it's give if a single owner owns the team, that person can give 
as an individual. But I just really don't think the teams ought to be in the business of sports giving, I'm sorry, political giving, because it does divide your fan, fan base. And LeBron James was right that sports should be something that unite us, not divide us. And I think this yeah. is divisive. I think it also speaks to where baseball's demographics are. I don't think you see the Hawks give to Republican candidates. And I don't think you'd see the United give to Republican candidates. Falcons, they really can't give to either side because football is that sport that kind of brings everybody age and race um, sure. and gender across, you know, kind of together. But I think baseball has become very white and very old, and it fits a lot like the Republican Party's demographics. And I think they knew if they were to give to Abrams only, they really would piss off their fan base. Excuse my French. Oh, and, oh absolutely. Uh, and, and well, if, I, if I just so may point they out. Have to give to Kemp yeah. their base. Go ahead. Well, well, here's the thing that's interesting, though. I'll, I'll, I'll interject and just say this much, and I don't, I, I don't know about their marketing research or anything else, but one thing I have noticed living in the Atlanta area is they've actually done a lot of things that came across to me as sort of promoting liberalism or diversity. Um, they had a pride night uh, with – you know, some LGBT-friendly, um, you know, like souvenirs and things they handed out, you know, talking about equality and, and, you know, being against discrimination and stuff. They had a Hispanic Heritage Night, I think, is upcoming. I don't know if they've done one for African Americans. I know they always do a, a Jackie Robinson Day, and maybe they – I don't know what they do for other civil rights stuff, but I know they do a Jackie Robinson Day, uh, you know, honoring the, the you know, African American baseball legends and stuff. So – I will just interject and say, you know, at the same time they're giving money to Kemp, which I understand why that would upset a lot of people on the left, but also make a lot of conservatives happy. The same organization is having an LGBT pride night, which is typically appealing to a, a more liberal audience, to put it simply. And I know if you go on their Facebook page and read, you know, when they were promoting that, there were a lot of conservative, you know, older Republicans are like, you know, I don't, I'm not happy you're doing this. You know, why are you, why are you promoting, uh, you know, this LGBT agenda? You know, so uh, I guess what I'm trying to say is they've kind of had it. They're trying to have it both ways. <laughs> At least the Atlanta Braves are. Baseball generally, I, I hear what you're saying there. Yeah, I just, I think that's a trick. They move. See, everybody's moving in town, seemingly. A lot of people means. I mean, in, in town's growing. That's where people, all the action's happening. Um, and then the Braves moved out, and they had these heat maps, and it showed that their fan base lived outside the perimeter, and it was kind of. And, right. and if you, they say, "Oh, well, you know, you can't get anybody to go inside the perimeter," um, you know. Uh, to watch sporting events, well, Atlanta United came online about the same time they moved out, yeah. and Atlanta United has the best, uh, you know, yeah. uh, fan base in the entire country and actually rivals the Germans and the British leagues uh, for average attendance when they open up the whole stadium. I just really think that baseball's got a demographic problem anyway, and I don't think who they give to is going to fix it anyway, but it doesn't yeah. look good. Well, let me get onto the topics I was going to, you know, ask you about. And why don't we just stay with this demographic thing? And you alluded to um, NFL's situation with the national anthem, and of course, ratings have been down a little bit. I mean, that's math, and it's silly to argue that. Now, a lot of conservatives will claim it's been down because of, you know, some athletes kneeling for the national anthem, now standing in the tunnel, not coming out for the national anthem, but. I heard just this past week that NASCAR's ratings and attendance are both way down. And if there's any sport that's patriotic, that's red state America, it's NASCAR. But then their ratings are down. So my question to you is, is both are down, but does it have anything to do with politics at all? I mean, do, do I think there are people who – for political reasons, have turned away from the NFL. Absolutely, because there's evidence of those people existing. But you know, examples of people's behavior does not necessarily mean the entire the group behaviors the same way. So I'm not sure you can simply attribute the ratings decline to you know people are upset at the NFL because players are you know making social justice statements. I don't think that's been the problem with ratings, and likewise with NASCAR, I don't think the problem is political there either. I think the problem is 
general generational decline in you know younger people, people under 40, not being as interested in either sport at this point. I think the NFL has had you know safety concerns. A lot of people have you know been concerned about long-term impact on players' health, and then just you know with NASCAR and the NFL both, I think the lack of star power is really hurting those leagues. Just like the NBA has been massively helped by these these household names that are performing so well in basketball right now. I mean, at the end of the day, I remember back when I was you know growing up, you'd have Jeff Gordon and Jimmy Johnson and Tony Stewart and you know all these very popular racers who you know that you could see them on ESPN and all the major networks. There's very few NASCAR drivers that are breaking outside of motorsports now, and likewise with you know the NFL. I mean, obviously you have Tom Brady and there's a few others who really have that household status. But I mean, Peyton Manning is probably still one of the five best-known football players, and he's retired. <laughs> which I think tells you a lot about where the NFL is at, that, you know, some of their best-known players are players who don't even, you know, actively play anymore. And certainly if if and when Brady retires, I don't know. You know, they need they need somebody to basically replace that. I don't know if they have a a brand star like that. Meanwhile, the, the NBA, as an example, is, you know, enjoying the LeBron James and Steph Curry and, and these folks that, you know, everybody from – the local kindergarten to the to the retirement home could probably recognize and you know a picture of. Yeah, I, and and I really do, I think a lot of it is there was oversaturation of the NFL and just about the time you know a season or two because actually the ratings dropped a season before um, they had put so much product out there that and that happens with any business that there's going to be a market correction. Um, and, and so I think that's a little bit of what NFL's suffering through. Um, and obviously sports, you can, or the sport of football, you can then judge it against uh, college football, which is almost played on the same level, um, and then uh, see how people are following it as well, at least as a sport trend, not a, a specific league trend. Yeah. And, um, and so many of our – you know, so many of our college heroes, the Heisman Trophy winners and stuff, have not have not translated as well into the NFL for any number of reasons. So the guys who build their brand in college are not always able to maintain that level of star power when they reach the professional league. Yeah. Well, I mean, so cases like Johnny Manziel, uh, not only they were not successful in the NFL, he couldn't beat out a guy on the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Yeah. And people were wondering why he got traded to the Montreal Alouettes. He threw four picks in his first uh, game. Yep. He just That's obviously true. not that level of quarterback uh, for professional football where people study much, much more for the game, their work, not just their classes. Hopefully That's right. Classes. That's right. So, yeah. Well, um, let's we segue that into some college sports. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. uh, there was a – situation that came up several almost months ago seemingly we've talked about it before jim jordan the former ohio state wrestling coach uh he left i don't know if there's something in between but he's now a congressman from ohio and a scandal came out or it was revealed that happened back oh easily 20 years ago i don't know the exact dates um but people have called on him you know you knew about this much like joe paterno uh, you know, you should resign because you could have been part of the cover-up. Well, there was some questions there. We could debate it in one frame. But now at the very same university, uh, Urban Meyer, the football coach, there may have been some cover-up of physical abuse by one of the assistant coaches, obviously more recent. Um, but he has been on a leave of absence. No one knows if he'll come back or not. Um, they have an interim coach it's looking like to start the season at the exact same university. Now, they're not in control of Jim Jordan the way they are in control of Urban Meyer's paycheck, but it is so uncanny that it's the exact same school. Um, Steen, what's your take on comparing and contrasting those situations? I mean, uh, you know, I think with the – with the Jordan situation, you know, obviously he was coaching a far less, you know, less profile sport. Wrestling is, you know, in our country by no word means as popular as college football. So the spotlight on Jordan and whatever he did or did not do and, and things that were going on in that program that were obviously horrible for for those impacted were not, 
you know, were not the spotlight was not as strong. I mean, it certainly is now, but you know, Urban Meyer and, and the high state program is the is probably the, the the thing in Ohio that people are most proud of in many parts of the state. So the level of scrutiny and focus is immensely more. And I think, you know, for better or worse, um, you know, Meyer is going to be probably held far more accountable than Jordan just because he was involved in a more high-profile sport. And I don't necessarily like that, but I just know that, you know, a lot of times these lower-profile sports like the, you know, USA Gymnastics with the Larry Nostra scandal in the Michigan State as well, you know, a lot of this stuff is really happening not just, you know, in the highest-profile programs and, and the highest level, but a lot of it's happening kind of, you know, in, in lower-tier programs and lower-tier schools where the level of scrutiny and reporting and media interest is just nowhere near the same. Well, uh, let me ask you this. I know sometimes in our history in different places um, in the past, a higher-profile coach of a bigger sport will be given more latitude than a low-profile sport coach would uh, because they would build up the reputation of wins and losses and championships and dollars earned um, compared to a lesser sport. So it seems like why would this work against Urban Meyer being more profile? Well, tip, typically it's about whether you support the program or you're on the outside looking in. Because if you look at, for example, the Penn State scandal, people you know, inside the program, inside the Ohio State program, inside the Penn State program, inside you know, any other program that's had these issues – they feel the need to kind of sort of defend their own and defend their own turf and, and show loyalty if they feel like they can get away with it. But outside of the program, so many people, whether it's for you know honest reasons of they're actually deeply you know upset and concerned about what happened, or they're just trying to you know gain a leg up on on a rival program, they're going to heap the pressure on. And that's obviously what eventually brought down Penn State and, you know, very well may bring down Urban Meyer right now is I don't think Ohio State's the one giving them the trouble. It's the national media and the the other programs. And, and you know, you think about the Big Ten of the conference. Sure, they want Ohio State to be good, but they have all the other schools in that conference saying, you know, get this guy out, both because they probably don't want the negative attention, but also because – Without Urban Meyer, you know, leading the Ohio State program, it may have a, a dip in performance, and that may give Michigan and other schools an opportunity to, to rise up, and they'd love for that to happen. So, of course, they're going to, you know, they're going to push in that direction, and that's really kind of the ultimate. It's, you know, it's basically there's pros and cons to everything, but at the end of the day, the outside pressure may simply be too much for Ohio State to simply say, you know, we know everything that happened, but we're willing to forgive him for it anyway. Because at this point, well, it just it really looked like he knew, and he didn't he he didn't basically care enough about the issue to make it a reason to fire the guy or to push or per, to push for him to be removed. One more follow up on this, um, and you know, like I said, Ohio State doesn't control Jim Jordan's paycheck career at this point. But it reflects back on Ohio State. So now Ohio State has these two incidents that have happened. And it might, could it be that somebody has to be the fall guy? And since they only control Urban Meyer, could Urban Meyer partly pay for Jim Jordan's sins in addition to this assistant coach? And then if he's covered it up, his own, could he become the fall guy for both incidents? I think there's a good possibility, but it's going to be hard to ever prove that because, you know, certainly Urban Meyer has done enough to sort of, you know, he gave, he gave himself his own rope, so to speak. He He's done enough on his own to justify him not having a job at Ohio State. So if if he is fired, it's probably going to come across as, you know, they're they're trying to deal with the issue. But I also think, you know, the – the athletic department as a whole is probably going to see some large changes. I mean, typically when you have multiple scandals of this magnitude, somebody's going to be out and there's going to be changes, even just for the sake of PR. No. Mm. And there, like let's say they hired an athletic director in 2010, and I'm just making up a year. I don't know sure. when Ohio State's athletic yeah. director got hired. 
their athletic director would have absolutely nothing to do with the Jim Jordan situation, and yet two scandals, they get pushed out. It's kind of like Jim Jordan because, you know, he's been very um, emboldened in saying, you know, there's nothing to see here. It ha- you know, I'm not stepping down. I'm still thinking about running for Speaker of the House, and why don't we run more ads yeah. about how horrible Nancy Pelosi is, and he's the one with this record. It's like he's not taking ownership for any of this, and other people may even suffer more than they should have because of what he did, and he won't take responsibility for. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Jim Jim Jordan is an opportunistic politician. He's going to push himself as far as he can get away with, and you know, I don't I don't think that's probably going to end in him being speaker just because you know the Republicans, assuming they lose seats, which I think everybody would agree is probably going to happen this fall. They're going to be looking for a reset. Uh, probably not looking for a somebody ready to you know ready to fight in the trenches because that's probably not the message they want to project to the American people that you know more or less rejected them in the election. So I think you know Jordan is going to ride this as far as he can, but we've we've seen it every every couple of years a new conservative icon pops up and then they sort of fade out. Uh, we saw it with Sarah Palin and Ben Carson. And you know, people on the right who were flawed, you know, flawed politicians, but they had a, a very conservative, you know, never back down, never compromise message that got people really excited. But then all of a sudden, you know, the the mask was off, so to speak. I think we saw that with Michelle Bachman as well. I mean, she was, you know, a leading presidential candidate, and now, you know, I'm not even sure what she's doing now, <laughs> but she doesn't have any influence. <laughs> Yes, well, so I think typically, you, said more you know, once, oh. yeah, go ahead. Once people gain a once people gain a higher profile, the flaws of their character become more apparent, and obviously that's happening mm-hmm. with Jim Jordan. I mean, yeah. I, I just can't imagine the Republican Party would let him get into a senior leadership position any any further than but he already has, would. at least. Yes, but they've let Donald Trump be the nominee of their party and now the president, so. Um, Stranger things have happened. Let's just that, say. that is true. So, that is true. Yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't put anything past them. Well, Steen, before we let you go, tell us where folks can read your most recent writings or follow you on social media or what have you. Sure, sure. So yeah, sports sportsandpolitics dot com is where I write a lot. Uh, I write on last word on sports as well, and then I'm uh, Nose Fan two thousand eleven on Twitter. All right. Well, um, we'll let you get preparing for the Florida State season and whatever else you're doing. Um, and thank Indeed. you again for joining us. Thank you very much. Appreciate everybody. Thank time. you, sir. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Uh, Steen Kirby, always insightful. And, of course, I think Catherine even enjoys the sports and politics when we get the political stuff into the sports. Uh, but we, I know you and I are both sports fans and, and political followers, oh, Kim, yeah. so it's always a treat to have Steen on. Um, well, well, I guess David, we got time David, for a – go ahead, Tim. David, I, I was going to interject one question there. Plus, don't you think we are at the point right now where sports and politics are, shall we say, inexorably connected, especially in light of Trump's attacks on things like the NFL, LeBron <laughs> James, et cetera? Tim, I'm going to answer your question with a question that will hopefully answer it. Tim, don't you think that what breakfast cereal we pick in today's America is intertwined with politics? Um, Every TV show, uh, the car we drive, every stinking thing in life is intertwined with politics. And I don't think it's a good thing, but but most definitely so. I'm a believer in Bill Bradley. Uh, Bill Bradley said, that you know, sports is this is well before LeBron James echoed it. Sports is something that brings races together, people of different ages together, um, people of different politics together, and it doesn't. And it's sad. And I do think yep. that sports is also becoming demographically different. Um, you know, if you probably like I was alluding to, if you went to Atlanta United game and forget the politics, if you ask. Hey, how many people know anything about the Braves? Probably one in ten, two of the ten people would have any clue. And if you went to the Braves game and said, hey, what about the United? One in ten, two in ten would have any clue what's going on. 
Um, and then yeah. that's what's sad about what Donald Trump's doing with football because football is kind of that intersection where more people come together, um, but, but he's, he's destroying that too, um, which yeah. is sad. Um, go ahead and I think we can cover maybe one more topic properly. And it's a sad one, but it kind of goes along with our scandals. Uh, Keith Ellison, who is a congressman from Minnesota, who is now the attorney general nominee for the state of Minnesota, who's the vice chair of the Democratic Party and came incredibly close to being the DNC chair, has had abuse allegations made against him. Now, at this point, they are allegations. I mean, that's Mm -hmm. important to note, but we know that allegations with any anything to them will be a problem hence the senator from minnesota al franken who if both things were true events will say i would think what keith ellison did would be judged far more harshly than what al franken did um what do you think is going to happen to keith ellison's uh political career well um For those who have not heard about this, there's a lady by the name of Karen Monahan who was Keith Ellison's girlfriend, partner, whatever. Uh, She claims he cursed her and attempted to drag her out of his house during an argument. Uh, She claims to have video but has refused to produce it, and he says it simply did not happen. Uh, Well, if she has video proof, I guess she should produce it. If not, we're at the he said, she said stage, and then whatever comes with that. So far, because we are a political show, it does not seem to have particularly hurt him politically. Um, He won his primary for Minnesota Attorney General, which he's running for. Now, under Minnesota rules up there, the political parties can actually put forward a candidate to run in the primaries. He was not the preferred candidate of the DFL, which is the Democratic Party of Minnesota. And so according to their rules, the DFL then has to meet if their preferred candidate did not get the nomination Uh, then they have to vote whether or not to endorse the candidate that won the primary, which they did just yesterday by a vote of 82% of their delegates. And so we have not seen any political fallout yet. Now, previously, of course, the Republicans have screamed about what a bunch of hypocrites people like Ellison are when talking about, you know, abuse of women and then blah, blah, blah. And we also know that uh, groups like uh, now uh, had called on him to drop out of the race, even though they haven't said anything since the primary. Uh, Generally in Minnesota, in in these uh, lower down statewide races, uh, getting the Democratic nominations pretty much tat him out to victory. Um, he's a high-profile individual. So that's where it stands right now. It doesn't seem to have hurt him yet. I don't know where it's going from here. If she produces some video or something like that, <laughs> even though video doesn't seem to hurt guys like Donald Trump. I think if she produced video of him doing something like this, uh, you know, like we mentioned with Al Franken, um, then, then then he might have a, a, a severe problem up there in that state, don't you think? Yes, and I mean, that's really, I mean, if and I don't know, there there may be, if there is a video, there may be some reason she doesn't want to release it. I mean, you just don't know. Um, but it is a very dicey situation. Um, we would like to think that no one, that, that there would be a reason someone would say something like this. Like it's true, Hope. I mean, you don't want to make lies on people. So I think everybody is, you know, it's, it's not black and white as far as I, I 
you see it all one way. Now, if the video comes out, it's going to be very easy <laughs> to see you right. know, what's going on. I'm just, I'll say this as a Democrat, I am very glad that Tom Perez is the DNC chair. Because if this were the head of the party, and we're fixing up this blue wave, and the Republicans could make this a major um, issue for the campaign that would possibly cause us um, to lose seats we would have won, then that would have been a major problem. Because at this point, the main thing is stopping Donald Trump, and this could have gotten in the way, so we really uh, dodged a bullet here. And I know the DNC members had probably no idea of any of this. Uh, I don't even know mm-hmm. when this um, has supposedly occurred to even know if it even happened Three before that ago. vote. Three years years ago. ago. So really, I mean, I I guess they had no knowledge it it would have happened before then. Um, But I'm just very glad that Tom Perez was elected. I mean, now, if if this is completely untrue, it is very unfair to Keith Ellison. But we've got to defeat Donald Trump, and we can't let anything get in our way um, like this might um, or or could have. Uh, So I'm really glad about that. Because, you know, the Republicans are going to use whatever they can. Go ahead, Tim. Yeah, but I think think it helps us in this case that they probably can't nationalize it because he is leaving Congress. Were he still in Congress, uh, this might be a major problem for us, even though – like it was with, uh, oh, I don't know, say Congressman Foley down there in Florida back in 06. Um. With the sexual uh, stuff with the pages on Capitol Hill, that that yes. severely damaged the Republicans. And Ellison being a high-profile member of Congress right now and out campaigning for Congress could really hurt us. But he's not. He's in Minnesota. He's running in a statewide race. It'll be something for probably the voters – in Minnesota to sort out. Um, I am, like you, in one respect, finding it curious that she has refused to release the only piece of hard evidence she would supposedly have. Why would she choose instead to go with the he said, she said scenario? I don't get it unless it's just... uh, I, I I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of that. I, I, I hope it's not true, but then again, why did this come up if something didn't happen? So he's got a problem. Yeah, I, and I don't know. There may be – she may have watched the tape and just it embarrasses her in some way. And, I mean, I don't know if it if it exists. We just don't know about all that. So it is – but mm-hmm. this is something, once again, we have things we don't like to talk about, but we have to talk about Talking about stuff the Republicans like the one to nationalize anything, one they might be able to nationalize because we got about a minute or two. Um, Andrew Cuomo running for re-election of government governor of New York, um, talking about Donald Trump's "Make America Great" slogan, said America was never all that great. I don't know why he said that. That is something the Republicans are going to try to nationalize. I'm sure it will probably make them some money in fundraising outside of New York not related to that New York uh, governor's race, but they'll use uh-huh. that. And, and it may actually get them a few votes or, or turn people to not vote somewhere in some race. It, it could They could use something like that to nationalize it. I don't know why he um, turned the knife on himself and inflicted that wound, um, but it, it was not a good one. Um, Tim, no, what were your thoughts no, when you heard that? Those, it's just one of those things that you say that that you wish you just hadn't said. As soon as you said it, you meant to say something else, and you just uh, blew it up. I mean, he he was attacking Donald Trump. Uh, he he doesn't. And nobody believes that statement that America was never that great or something like that. Uh, it's just a very regrettable thing, and and you know it, it it there's a political cost that comes with that. I don't know how big it'll be. Maybe it'll save the Republicans a congressional seat or two. Uh, 
you know, in New York State, like uh, up in the Buffalo area, you know, that we're talking about right now or something like that. Uh, but uh, I, I don't think it's going to go much further than that. But it, but uh, little things like that can have a cumulative effect. But I don't think anything this year, David, is going to overcome the fact that love him or hate him, Donald Trump is the centerpiece of this election. Yes, and, you know, if I were advising Andrew Cuomo, I'd say, hey, there was once a great Democratic speaker. He was um, governor of New York. You may have heard him before, Mario Cuomo. In fact, you heard him more than the rest of us heard him because he was your father. <laughs> well, try some of that material out. Um, that would work yeah. out a whole lot better for you than this. I mean, I think I know his intent was probably something along the lines of America's wasn't and still not perfect. Well. No nation walks on water. No nation is perfect, um, but right. but that's uh, definitely not that great and not perfect are very very different uh, sentiments very taken different. very very yeah. differently. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, thanks again to Sting Kirby, and I think it was a good show, and probably looking forward to having Catherine back. But until then, been the Cudsey Vine. Good night, everybody. Night. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice.